Welcome to Digital Hospitality. I am your host, Sean Walchef. This is a Cali BBQ Media production. Today is a very special day. Every single week, we talk about digital hospitality. Every business needs to be digital first, and every business needs to be in the hospitality business. As a single unit barbecue restaurant, well, we're actually two units now because we have a ghost kitchen. Um, we teach people how to become a media company. We teach small businesses, we teach entrepreneurs, and we're so fortunate on this show to interview other successful entrepreneurs in all lines of work. Um, today's guest is John Royce Lynch, uh, the CEO and founder of PCMA Private Client Lending. Uh, thank you for hosting us in Orange County. We're, My pleasure. Thank you for the offer to, uh, or the invite to do this. So we made it up from San Diego. Um, these are incredible offices. We've got people working hard, socially distanced, of course. Um, <laughs> But I, I want to I want to read something that is on your website um, because I found it very uh, moving. So this is who John Royce Lynch is from very humble beginnings to running my own firms, earning billions. This journey has given me a crystal clear purpose, cause and belief. I work hard to inspire all to create the unexpected so that the unexpected becomes expected. I have a ravenous appetite for life and business, but neither in the traditional sense. My life, who I am, what I do different, differently, and why I do it is reflected in my personal persona. In my companies, innovative habits are sought, modern ways mastered, and zero complacency insisted on. To me, disruption lives in the roots of exclusivity and originality, not novelty. My, ap my appetence for helping others to develop and grow is my true north, and my ambition is beyond measure. This odyssey I call my life, complete with its flaws, has been well documented and shared, and always will be. But above all, I am driven to be a good father, husband, and neighbor. Pretty unexpected, huh? <laughs> I wrote that, um, I, you know, it's kind of like an outline of like, you know, how do you, how do you say what your, your, you know, purpose, cause and belief is in, you know, when life is such a big story to be told, you know, I wrote that about five years ago, just to kind of outline for the people who are paying attention, you know, I have the opportunity to, to have a little bit of attention and it's like, what are you going to do? What purpose or use are you going to, you know, put in play? So, you know, the story, the legacy that you leave behind, it's, it's, it's not about me. It's about my daughter. It's about my wife. It's about my friends, it's about my family. And at the end of the day, when, when life, life meets its end for you and you never really get to hear the impact that you have on people's lives, unfortunately, until you're no longer here. And then they get to, they tell in their, their slight and small little moments. Yeah. I've had the opportunity for people to tell me like the most insignificant things that, that I thought were insignificant had such an impact because it could have been a t the right thing at the right time and the right moment with the right person and the right people. And, um, you know, I, I just want to live a life that just is unbridled ambition, constant growth, because at the end of the day, what the hell are we here for? 
Yeah, I think, I mean, it was very moving when I read it because I know having a true north means so much. Um, it doesn't matter how big or how small your business is. If you are leading, you need to lead by example. And when you write something like that, it's difficult to do, but it's so important to do because having a clear purpose allows you to explain that to all the people that you do business with. Um, tell us a little bit of your origin story. Um, I'm the unexpected success, you know, I mean, you know, I come from very humble beginnings. Um, you know, I think life is a, is a, a proclamation of what you make of it. Your, your circumstances and your surroundings are not a byproduct of your forever. Um, I come from very humble beginnings and I'm grateful for that because I grew up in, and I had roof over my head, food in my belly, love in my heart, and, and a family and, and friends that cared about me. As I started to get older, I was fortunate enough to grow up in Orange County, which allowed me to um, get around ambitious living, right? And, and you know, a lot of times the, 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 the success that you seek is... You just have to get comfortable being in the environment. And I was fortunate enough to grow around, grow up around people that mentored me, whether they knew it or not. I was just getting comfortable recognizing they were just people and they were working really hard, no harder than I was. It was just in a different manner that I was doing it that afforded them to have a life um, that that I wanted to live. And and in that, be able to, to, to change the trajectory of my family forever. Because also too, you know, we are such a byproduct of our family um, and, and how our family, you get really comfortable in it. So getting comfortable, getting comfortable being uncomfortable is a super, is a major part of the growth story. Um, because I grew up in a household that, that were laborers, union workers, you know, none of them were entrepreneurs. You know, and and why me is because of the other influences that just allowed me to to expand beyond what was prototypical of the roadmap that I should have gone down and 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 explore that. And I would say also to the major part of the origin story on how it rolls from uh, into a professional career of, of business ownership and entrepreneurship like you. Um, I think it, a lot of that has to do with childhood sports. Yeah. Right. Um, growing up in sports, you put yourself out there. The, your self-esteem is, is developing at like three and what from three to 10, man, I mean, this sets the trajectory of your life. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to be very athletic, uh, played at very high levels in all the different sports that I played at. And that confidence to say, I know what, I know the process of work, yes, effort, and, you know, in some cases, glory, what that looks like. And then you just translate it from your, my, my athletic life into my professional life. Yeah, I, I too was very fortunate to grow up in an affluent neighborhood. I grew up in La Jolla. My, I, I never met my father. My grandfather raised me. He was an immigrant and a medical doctor, but he had such an emphasis on hard work and education. Um, but it was the people that surrounded myself because I was so fortunate to go to private school. Yeah. There, all of my friends, all of the households that I was fortunate to go in, I didn't realize, but through os osmosis, I could see the success of somebody that, you know, 
whether they're working in banking, whether they were an attorney, whether, you know, whatever their own, they own their own business. So many of those stories were inspirational to me. And I didn't even know that as I was growing up. Was there anybody in particular, any friend um, or friend's father or friend's mother that, that had an impact on you? What I will say is, so, um, you know, out of high school, I, I, I became a professional surfer and I spent, you know, the latter part of my teens and early twenties, you know, um, you know, chasing waves around and, and, and enjoying that part of my life. But when I came back and I realized when I was 22, 23, that I didn't want to do, I didn't want to live out of a backpack anymore. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to, you know, I needed to do something different. So, uh, I started a window cleaning business with, well, I got a job with, with my buddy who owned a window cleaning business and I've got the opportunity to go in these beautiful homes. And as I got to know the clients, that's that osmosis thing. Because prior to that, I didn't know those people. You yeah. know, I lived in two bedroom apartments with a family of four. And so, um, you know, getting inside these environments where you're like, it's the most spectacular, you know, you know yeah. what you're talking about. Oh, yeah. Like, like La Jolla is beautiful. La Jolla, right? Rancho Santa Fe. I mean, yeah, where I mean, we it's are ridiculous. Here. Yeah. But what you realize is you get comfortable being in the environment. And more importantly, you get comfortable with the people who have this type of lifestyle. And then, and then from there, that was really easy for me to transition my ambition and, uh, you know, move towards that part of my life. Now, having a window cleaning business, you know, taught me the basic fundamentals of, you know, how to operate a business. And then when I wanted to figure out how to not make money with my hands anymore and start to make money with my mind, then there was a transition that went into that. And, uh, and then I started moving towards, you know, the securities business. Inside the securities business, and security is not like armed security, more of uh, the financial markets, um, I met a gentleman who was in his late forties and, um, he really took a liking to me. I was 27 at the time that I, I, I went to work for a, an institutional fixed income bond firm here in, uh, Fashion Island. And he, uh, he and I became friendly and he was a very powerful guy from the banking industry, uh, very accomplished. And he, he started grooming me towards one day running my own bank. Really? Uh-huh. And, um, and in that, he taught me a lot about the financial markets, but more importantly, what he what he once he gave me the confidence and he helped open doors for me. He didn't give me anything, but by no means. But he but he got me in front of people to get me comfortable being in front of those people who could eventually give me the stepping stones towards wherever I was going to go. But the one thing he said to me, he says, John, when you reach the, that pinnacle of success, make sure that you, you honor me and honor those who have given you a hand out and not a hand up and not a handout. And when it's time for you to give it back, make that time. It's powerful. Right. And, and I never forgot that. And I, I mentor a lot of people now um, when I'm fortunate enough that people engage me. So I mentor it in different ways. I, you know, I've never told my friends or my family how to live. I just show them how to live. Yeah. Right. So there's an impact in that. I make myself available and play stuff like this um, as, as an homage to, to the people who have helped me. And then when I'm fortunate enough that somebody is, you know, a lot of times brave enough just to ask me for uh, time with me, you know, I absolutely make that time for them. Isn't it amazing that the, the things that we want in life are so accessible if you see them as accessible. So you have a mentor that puts you in a position where now through access, through his mentorship, you're putting yourself in position to learn 
the things and the hopes and the dreams that you want to have. And I think it's really important, like, um, don't be afraid to go and ask the people because they do like when, you know, when the, the things that you think are successful, the money, the house, the car, the, the money is the least fulfilling thing I've ever accomplished in my life. It yeah. literally, it's a letdown. What, what is, what, uh, you know, what really makes me happy is just, you know, watching my daughter seek things that, you know, it, had I grown up differently and had I raised her differently, she would have, uh, she lit, she has bigger dreams and believes that life can be bigger than the one that I, that I, that, you know, my family was afraid to dream, dream for. Yeah. And, you know, and then, you know, the, the ability to give my friends and my, my contemporaries an opportunity to have success in their life through the ventures that I've put together. Um, you know, that those are the things that matter when the impact and the legacy that you leave behind, um, this, you know, is, is really, I think what life is all about, you know, as you get to the latter stage of life, you start thinking about that stuff, you know, in the beginning it was, you know, I call it, you know, um, you know, the, the, the new money phase, right? Like you got to go through that. You got to have all of the stuff. And then when you realize that that's not really what it was about, then it's like, okay, then life begins. Was there a point where that new money phase, was there something tangible that you bought or was there an experience that you had? I, I, I experienced everything, you know, I experienced everything that I thought I wanted to, to have. And then when I realized it was just a thing, mm-hmm. okay. Is, and then I got to the point where like, fuck, is this really all that there is? Yeah. And that was the letdown part. Like, have I worked this hard for this? And so there's this transition moment um, of really trying to understand, okay, what's my purpose in all of this? Because, you know, I've had the benefit of meeting some very, you know, wealthy people who have all of life's comforts. Um, and they're miserable because they have nothing to reach for. You know, they, they have nothing to attain, especially the trust funds. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, God, it's like money actually can steal someone's purpose, cause and belief. And it, it's a str- I would rather start with nothing and grow into it than be have everything and not know where to go. Right. It's a lost feeling. And and, um, you know, I'm just grateful that, you know, now part of the reason why I wrote that right there was just to tell it was for me, you know, just really what is it? What is it about me right now that makes me tick? What is my human condition that makes me obsess about the most insane things, you know, Uh, but in that, that's my superpower. But what is it? And why is it here? And what am I going to do with it going forward? So what drove you to create PCMA? So, you know, my prior company, um, you know, my partner and I started it in 1997. And we grew it from just two guys with a dream in a small little office to, you know, the largest privately held home equity line of credit lender in the country. Um, 1,300 employees, a major impact on, you know, a major firm within the financial markets. Um, And I learned how to grow a large organization and deal with scale like that. 
Um, then we were being acquired by Capital One and then the financial crisis hit. And then I spent the next several years dealing with the transition from the 2008 crisis into 2012, um, you know, when I decided that I wanted to um, re-enter the marketplace, it was a situation where like, okay, well, what, what marketplace are we gonna go into? And I said, you know, the first thing is just build infrastructure. It took 50 years to build countrywide. It took five months to blow it up. Yeah. So the opportunity is just get infrastructure there. So when when the markets heal themselves and they re-enter and credit liquidity starts to re-enter the marketplace, it's going to need infrastructure at which to distribute it. And so that's that's when PCMA was born. And then it wasn't up until the last several years where we've identified our current marketplace of non-bank private client lending. And that is our 100 percent of our focus. So I have two questions. How do you how do you build infrastructure? Um, you just get the the means of getting all the corporate app, you know, all the corporate functionality, all of your marketing, all of your um, fulfillment capabilities. Get get the baseline of that built. Get it ready for scale. Um, I had to learn how to build scale in my previous company. I already knew what needed to be in place. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't have to be big in order to have, I call it, you know, big boss capabilities, but still at that independent and boutique approach yeah. or level. Um, why, so, is that, why is that important? So when it comes, it doesn't break. Yeah. So when that scale starts to really accelerate, you know, it, it can handle, you know, it can handle the growth without it breaking. I mean, we broke a lot of systems on the way up, right? <laughs> I mean, that's the only way. That's the only way to grow, though, right? I mean, getting back to being uncomfortable, getting getting comfortable being uncomfortable. It's you know, Silicon Valley fail fast, right? Yeah, and and uh, or break it fast, break it so fast. you know how to fix it, correct, right? Correct. Um, you know, I guess you know the benefit of eight nine years of you learning how to be a business, learning how to be an employer. Yeah, I never had an employee. Um, you know, learning how to grow a company to scale, learning how to understand your market and then communicate that not only internally, but externally. Brand is a huge uh, thing for me. You know, it's not because I'm a, a, a big brand guy, but, you know, from the standpoint of I understand clarity in your message and market. Yeah. Brand is very important. Doesn't matter what level of business you're doing, because brand is about building community. Ultimately, uh, why is building community important for you? So I look at it from the standpoint of it's very hard to get brand connection um, outside of your outside of your facility because there's 350 million people in this country, right? Yeah. Um, but you can but you can get brand connection if you narrow down what it is that you do and you and you give clear and consistent message on the market and the people that you serve. Not only does it help you because then you know how to rally your resources and then and then get clear and consistent messaging pointed in the right direction. But then the community you're trying to serve, you know, it's hard to build that that um, that. Uh, that first set of followers, but then your followers become your ambassadors. Correct. Right. And yeah. then if you're fortunate enough to be in a place where you can get a, a viral kind of approach and sense about it, you know, in financial services, not everybody goes running around telling everybody like, here's what I got going on in my, my sure. economic life. But when you have products or, or services that have a viral nature to it, it's, 
you must have clarity on who you serve, then build community right at those people. So who do you serve? Well, for us, we serve rich people. Um, You know, uh, the mass affluent and high net worth is a very unique audience. Um, They have a they have a certain method and manner at which they they carry themselves and they how they like to They wouldn't to get approached. to be where they were unless they were that way. There's just a, there's just a certain manner and posture that they have that, you know, when you really understand them, uh, then you can serve them the way that they want to be served. They're not pretentious in any way, shape or form. For sure. It's just hard to get their attention because so many people are trying to get their attention. Correct. Right. So, um, you know, the luxury brands, the from the luxury product category, you know, um, we all think that they know how to communicate. A lot of times, 90, I would say 80% of them don't, really don't know how to communicate to them. There's some that do because, because really understanding, like for me, a brand is not just your market, not just your positioning statement, not just the way at which you package it and storefront it. it 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 moves way beyond that it's how you how is how do the people connect with it yeah because the reason why things go viral is because people are emotionally connecting with your brand yeah and your brand is not your product your brand is your story yes right so you know being in the private client space you know it offends me when people say I'm in the mortgage business. I'm not in the mortgage business. I'm in the experience business because my clients don't need mortgages and they won't like th- there's nothing that's going to get them to to be wowed or unexpected yes. about what I do because they've been doing mortgages for four decades. Yep. And I don't sell mortgages. I serve clients. So what I do is I spend more time talking about them and less about me. Right. And, you know, I've gone through this process over the last several months of really, you know, I've learned how to build brands and develop my own my own approach to it. And the one thing that I couldn't get my head around and, and I've and I've studied it up and down and nobody and I have a great team of people around me that have been in this business for a long time. And I, we couldn't answer the one thing. I go, what is it about the human condition that it makes us aspire for those things? What is it about the human condition that makes us want those things? Therein lies the, 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 the story or the, the ideology at, at, the, at, the, at the soul level yeah. in order to build a brand. Louis Vuitton thinks it's a luggage. It, it literally thinks it's a travel company. Yeah. So why does so many people connect with it? Because there's something in there how they package it that connects people emotionally, right? Try to find anywhere in there where they interpreted what that is. You can't. Rolls Royce, same thing. Apple, same thing. Apple, same thing. Nike, same thing. So get past the products, get past the packaging, get past all that. Why do we want it so bad? Because we want, we want to, we, we find, so, so in that process, we started developing like, oh, it was, we aspire for things where we feel where we feel special and known. Chanel, 
labels everywhere. You know, a lot of that stuff is cultural. They use the labels to classify themselves. I'm not a peasant. I work in the field. Like they do that. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is what is it? Why do we all want nicer things? Why do we aspire for those things? It's because those things somehow represent a way that at which it makes me feel and communicates with me in a manner that that honors me, makes me feel special and and uh, recognizes my accomplish my accomplishments and and my uh, inspirational lifestyle. And it's interesting, too, because you're in a difficult position because ultimately you're solving problems for rich people. You're solving financial problems for rich people. So it's an oxymoron in a sense that why would a, why would a rich person have a financial problem? But it goes back to your experience in mortgage, your experience in banking, understanding that people in high net worth are having problems getting loans well, for these houses that they want to purchase or these other residential asset because, classes that because, they want to purchase. Because the reality of it is, is like, there's no one like us, right? Correct. I mean, you have private banking, but even private banking does a poor job at it because when you get to that level of wealth, the financial markets are there to serve them like there's nobody's business when it comes to managing their money. But yes. when it comes to managing their debt, there's no one there. And um, there are there's a million mortgage companies out there, but they don't know. But they are not capable of serving the complexities of these estates. Right. So these the 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 private client community is stuck in this gap where they have plenty of financial wealth management services. But when it comes to, you know, uh, financing their commercial or, or real estate investment portfolio or their their states, um, there's very few liquidity sources and there's very few uh, firms that have the intellectual property capabilities to even understand or feel comfortable talking to them in a manner that represents their needs. Sure. So you talked about brand ambassadors and understanding that it's not about taking care of the masses. It's about taking care of those first community members, those first people that become your community ambassadors. Can you tell us a story, obviously, about somebody that you solved their problem, their complex problem? The, the issue that we face um, is, you know, 30, 32% of all U.S. households uh, would be classified as mass affluent high net worth. 32% really. That's a high percentage. I mean, just look around you. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's everywhere. Yeah. Um, now, now, that's US, United States. Yeah. Yes. OK. Now, this it could be a, a, a household that owns uh, you know, a dozen franchise outlets worth 20 million bucks. And, and, you know, they've, they've, they own a nice house and they've accumulated some, some liquidity and some equity in the home and they've been fully vested in building their enterprise. So on paper, they're worth 20, 30 million bucks, but they might only have a half a million bucks in the bank. Yeah. So the wealth management platforms, the, the Morgan Stanley's, the JP Morgan, they're not even going to, they make money managing large sums of money. Yeah. Um, I what's, make, lar- what's a large sum of money to those firms? 25 million plus. Okay. Um, now when he sells his, when he sells his franchise empire for 20 million bucks, all of a sudden his phone won't stop ringing. Yeah. But until then I help them manage their, while they're in wealth accumulation phase, um, I help them manage the, the estate through the liquidity or the leverage phase. And then when they look, when they move to preservation, and they sell off the leverage and get rid of the risk, and then they move into wealth preservation phase, that's when I help hand them off to the wealth management platforms. Um, 
So in the beginning, you know, trying to get the, trying to get the private client community who have very little places to go to manage this, it's really hard to get their attention because they stopped listening a long time ago. Sure. Right. So for me, it's building a relationship one client at a time. It's like it's like melting the iceberg one drip at a time. Yeah. But once you get the handful of those people and then it then they create a, a review or it starts to organically grow that momentum and it, you can't necessarily narrow it down to one single person. It's just your business starts to season and tenure. You know, it, it all it has this compounding effect in multiple manners. It's the I got a guy, I got a girl principle. You get some referral and then, yeah. It, it, like, how'd you do that? Well, I got a guy. You got to call John. And, and and the private client community is very much like that or the viral community is yeah. very much like that, right? Like, oh, I got this guy. Like, I remember the first time when my friend introduced me to Uber, I was like, this is the coolest thing ever, you know? And I, he made me set up my credit card and everything. Now it's like, right. Everybody Ubers, but I literally remember at a barbecue, him and he had no reason to even introduce Uber to me. It wasn't even looking, I wasn't even looking for a ride. Well, I mean, that's part of when you get back to brand and you get back to storytelling, it's the greatest brands and the greatest stories that are being told are being done in a way for modern consumption. It's the thing we talk about on this podcast. It's because the attention is on the smartphone, it's on the internet, it's on all these apps. I mean, my wife and I, we purchased a Peloton bike. Why do we purchase a Peloton bike? Because on Instagram and in stories, some of my best friends, them and their wives are posting about how much they're loving their fucking bike. And next thing you know, I have a bike. Guess what I'm posting on Instagram stories? I'm selling Pelotons to other friends of mine. Literally, that's what a strong brand can do. And it sounds like that's something that you guys are, are building. I remember when this was a phone. <laughs> the mobile device yes. is the attention device. Correct. And even though it, this is not a, a major part of our awareness uh, campaigning, um, because of the nature of the client and the manner at which I have to approach them in order to get their attention because they're not here. Yeah. Um, but the generation that is here, oh yeah, I mean, it's like the opportunity to be a storyteller is just unbelievable. And sure. to be able to do it, you know, and not require all of this apparatus in order to put content in motion. It's simple as that. I, we were, we were talking about this 12 years ago that this is going to change the world forever. And well, it was still a phone at that time. And think about it. You think Tesla's a car. It's a mobility device. Correct. Right. It it's is a, a lifestyle. It's a mobile device where the primary method of the application is mobility, but make no mistake. Elon does not see that as a car. He sees it just like Apple saw this, Correct. not as a phone. It's it's an information portal. So you said that your clients aren't there, even though I would argue that they are there. They're there in different manners. So, Correct. So, uh, how, so how, the question becomes how for the financial service model, especially when you have such a niche, how do you tell compelling stories to get to where they need, where, where they are? Uh, through a little bit more traditional media that ties into where private client attention would be. Um, and, and, and make no mistake, we are evolving towards the social side. Mm -hmm. uh, the traditional apparatus of what we've got going on is, is significant. And so we've been rolling in the last part where we will 
put the bow on it will mm-hmm. be the the digital side for sure. Yeah, and I think I mean because it's fascinating for me to watch what's happened, and that's why I'm so excited about the business that I'm in and storytelling. It's you know from 2008. I always bring up this on almost every podcast, but on in 2007 was when the first iPhone was released. Yeah, and why is that significant? It's significant because we're not far down the line. We're 2021. Right. You know, 14 years later. Right. But look at how much has changed with the smartphone, with the iPhone. All the attention has come. What we can do as a small business, as a barbecue restaurant, what we can do and how we can get our message out, not just through social media, but through our website, yeah. becoming an e-commerce platform, making it easier for our guests to come and buy barbecue, to order barbecue, to order barbecue sauce, no matter where they are yeah. in the world. All of these things are happening to every single type of business. Mm-hmm. What are you guys doing to address the things back to time, back to experience? This is this is why I care so much about digital hospitality because I, I have the confidence knowing as successful as you are coming in here and talking about this shit, Every business is in the hospitality business. And how do we leverage technology? And how do we leverage our stories to give those customers to make them accessible? How how are you guys going to do that? So there's a fine line that I dance in the, you know, we're we're an experiential business, right? So, um, you know, as a as an experiential business technology, um, is a very fine line of how far you bring it forward. Because in a world being, you know, uh, in, in, in our world where ones and zeros is dominating all around us, you know, uh, private client service will never be self-service, mm-hmm. right? There's a reason why when you go to the finest hotels in the world and there's a red carpet when you roll up and a porter to greet you, you know, the day that you go into Louis Vuitton and you start punching buttons, you're going to lose the Louis Vuitton yeah. brand because it's not special and known if I'm if I'm doing all the work. 100%. Okay? Couldn't, couldn't agree more. But the technology there to have an, exp- an efficient experience that's behind the scenes that, that doesn't take away from the human connection. Correct. Make sense? Absolutely. So as far as the digital storytelling... Um, a lot of that for us represents, you know, we do a lot of retargeting. Um, you know, I torture my clients with awareness. <laughs> I torture them with awareness. I'm not, I don't, I'm not flagrant, but sure. I am subtle and I'm everywhere. You have to be. And, and so, because the reality of it is, is that I'm a big believer. I've been marketing for almost three decades now. Um, I understand the power of the subconscious, the subconscious. And, you know, we don't necessarily always see things uh, at the, you know, on the surface, but the, but your subconscious is a thousand times more sensitive to what's going on in your surroundings. That's why we trigger for everything, right? We don't even know it. Language, we trigger language from things that are approaching at us. So for me, I do, I do a lot of things that really just keep planting the seeds in their subconscious so that when I do come forward and I do get their their attention, it ties in. And that's when you get that deal. Like, hey, do you know so-and-so? You're like, God, yeah, I think I know that guy, right? Like, it's recalling that. And you want to be that brand that's in the back of the, I think I've heard of them before. Yeah. Because then there's there's a sense of credibility and trust built into that. Absolutely. Now, get me over the wall so that we can move forward. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I'm happy that you said that. It's it's one of the things that there is the fear of the digital side is that it's not about automation. It's not about technology replacing that automation. 
And that's the fear that I have when I talk about digital hospitality is we're in the hospitality business. We're in the people business. Like we care about people. And as much as we're emphasizing on, you know, bringing toast into our operations, our point of sale technology to enable us to be an e-commerce company, we're still going to always be in the people business. Humans are the heart of technology. And unless there's that personalized experience, but when you do get that personalized experience and you get it and it gives you more time, yeah. And I don't care if it's time from barbecue, which is, you know, a rack of ribs is going to take us five hours to smoke. Or if you're talking about how long is it going to take for me to get money to close the deal for my house on the beach, like right. that time is what's valuable, you right. know, and especially, you know, we just refinanced our house and going to use the app that, you know, my mortgage broker gives to me. Things are moving quickly. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking about before like DocuSign and what's happened with, yep. you know, having to have a notary come over and go through all these documents and what's what you're able to 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 read before. I mean, right. what is your what is your plan for the speed at which technology is coming, especially in in, a, in something that's as sensitive as high net worth transactions? Um, you know, I mean, I've been at the forefront of, of developing a lot of the the, the the centralized fulfillment capabilities you know when i got in the when i got into the business in the 90s i mean you everything was local you had a local real estate office local title office lo- local escrow office local mortgage office like you couldn't go into a shopping center and go buy your groceries at albertson's and not have a countrywide office right next door yeah. and then we you know, because of our capabilities in marketing and the ability, the ability to reach beyond a belly to belly referral relationship, we could now go direct. We started developing centralized fulfillment capabilities. And so I remember our campus uh, over here, five minutes from my office right here, um, we, we, that office uh, supported the origination and marketing for 43 states within our country. Wow. Out of that one office where before you would have had thousands of locals everywhere. And so it's not just in the technology, it's also in the capability of hubbing stuff and, and, and the logistics and, and the speed at which you can move things. Uh, it's made it more efficient. The manufacturing of, of services are, are better. And then, you know, margin compression as a result of that, giving a better product and service to the client. Um, but like I said to you before, it's I utilize technology to to amplify the experience, but I don't but I don't ever ask my client to do the work. Yeah. I love that. Right. And so even when I, even when you say to me, we're in the people business, I go, no, you're not. You're in the experience business. Mm-hmm. So what is the, Because it is the experience that creates the connection. What's the memorable moment? What was that? Uh, that the blade company where they did that video and and it was, it was it was totally viral because it was so maverick. And it was uh, they sold out to like one of the big uh, razor companies. Uh, right? Dollar Shave Club. Yeah. Yeah. OK. That was an experience company. Yeah. They weren't oh, in the absolutely. razor business. That was sure. an experience business, absolutely. right? Absolutely. Okay. It, it went by, everybody thought it was the video. No, it was, they, they understood how to create connection. Yep. And they used Maverick marketing strategies to do that. And that's one component of it. And then the hard part would be, how do you, how do you take that gorilla kind of approach and then the attributed in all the other parts. What does their PR look like? What does the communications look like? What does the product delivery look like? Yep. You have to tie it all together Correct. for it to make sure. Otherwise, it's just one channel. It was an interesting video. Yep. But 
it ha- if you're going to put that out there externally, you better you better bring all the nuances of it internally as well and make it part of your brand because then you really get that that community and cult following. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And then and Gillette, I think it was Gillette <laughs> who bought them. Like they knew they were such a threat, they bought them and shelved them. Yep. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, I know one of the things that's important to you is community giving back. You know, you guys have did something called California Love Drop. Can you tell us a little bit more about that campaign? Yeah, I mean, you know, um, part of my 2021 uh, initiative is to roll out in a more um, meaningful way our humankind initiative here inside the firm uh, to give my to not only be able to help externally, but also give my uh, team members uh, an opportunity to participate. And yeah. give everybody wants to give back. They just don't know where or how, right? Uh, the California Love Drop was an, a great opportunity. I mean, Wing and and the family. I mean, I grew up on Wahoo's fish tacos, and you know they've been such a big part of the action sports community. Remember, I, yep. I grew up in it, Absolutely. and um, you know when when I when I found out what Wing was doing with the California Love Drop, I was just like, I'm all in. How can I help? Um, so, you know, we produced a, a, a television spot for them through our marketing agency to uh, and, and funded the, you know, the, the, the campaign so that we could get more awareness to the California Love Drop. And then I, we sponsored, uh, I think, a drop a week or a drop a month. I can't remember. And that was for first responders. Yeah. First responders. Yeah. All the first any of the front line, any of the front line people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of friends that I call family that were, um, I mean, from day one on the front lines and, you know, we, we donated a lot of PPE for them. We have, we have friends, uh, and connections to sources in China for some of that PPE that was really hard to get in the beginning. And, and, you know, we bought everything we could get our hands on and started donating to the local hospitals, the fire stations, mm-hmm. police stations, all of that. Yeah, it's it's interesting when when I went I went to Bishop's, you know, private school in La Jolla and one of the requirements for graduation was doing 100 hours of community service. And, you know, when you're a kid, when I was a kid and felt like detention, it felt like detention. It felt like the worst (laughs) thing. We just wanted to get through it. Like, how can we go and, you know, go to the Special Olympics and, you know, just we're going to go and screw around. But like by doing it, it's what you said, by doing it, by going there, they know that they're planting the seed. Yeah. And whether that seed comes to fruition when I was a child or now when it's the forefront of my business, it's the most important thing that we do is be a part of the community. Yeah. Um, why is it so important for your staff to feel that and your team? Because I wish I could do more because I wish I had the time. And I know that's an excuse, but the reality of it is if I had it easily accessible to like when wing uh, and I met, I mean, I was all in. Yeah. You know why? Because he he put it together. It was really easy for me to support it. He asked. He didn't even ask. I think we even reached out to him. Mm-hmm. Like, like I'm all in. Like, how can I help? Right? Yeah. Um, because somebody was doing the work. You know, a lot of times <laughs> they would love uh, people. We would all donate our time if, yes. if, if it could be like less interrupt, less disruption to our daily life because it's hard enough for us to find time. Um, so I, I, you know, for me, the humankind initiative is just basically giving people multiple options at which they I'll connect it all. 
and I'll have multiple venues of, of different things that are near and dear to, uh, you know, people and then connect that gateway so that if they wanted to donate their time or donate money, how can I? Yeah. Right. And, um, and it'll not, you know, it won't be something that the company will push on them. It's just, it's just, here's three or four different lanes have it for humanity or breast cancer or like whatever it is that you, that, that matters to you and you want to donate, uh, then make it available to a community of people Mm -hmm. where the, where they need the support. I have the community. Let's just connect the two. Yeah. I think that's, that's a phenomenal way to build culture. Um, you know, it's one of the things that we talk about. It's giving back is so important, but by sh- it, it seems it seems egotistical to share giving back. But by sharing, you can make a bigger impact. It depends on how it's done, right? It so, always depends on how. It's I done. mean, yes. the reality of it is, is that you know, we in order to, I always tell people, I go, look, the the. Mo- our, our giving, our giving at my previous company was ridiculous. Like when we, when we put together, like during the holiday season, we put together, uh, a, a adopt a family mm-hmm. for Christmas. The amount of families that, that my, my staff adopted, we had two semi trucks full of toys. Wow. It, it, our lobby was gigantic. It was full of to- like it was obscene mm-hmm. and they didn't just adopt one family they adopt three and four families and these these kids would would write to you and what they want for christmas is socks <laughs> pen and paper for school yeah like it's heartbreaking and you know i never forgot that because the reality of it was is we put that together we did not expect that kind of like a dot and what it told me was everybody wants to help yeah they all want to help just get give them a, a manner at which they can and they'll do it in a moment I agree. And, and i'll do it more than you ever expect yeah it's something that you know we we did a spreading kindness campaign my business mentor david Meltzer, challenged his mentees to just make a small video of just helping somebody and we asked another restaurant owner um, if he'd be willing to help us and we essentially pick feeding the post office because they are unthanked and yeah. all the packages that have been getting delivered. And my wife had a conversation with our mailman, said he was on a 14 hour shift. But by by doing that, by going and feeding 70 people that are usually unthanked and by putting it online, by putting it on social media, it inspired others that were watching us to do that to say, hey, I want to help you know, back to, we don't have time or we don't have attention. When the attention is there, we can help. And it's right. that call to action. It's by seeing somebody else do it, by seeing the entire lobby full with toys, you feel compelled, well, who are, who did we adopt? You know, what did we do? And I think that's something that, you know, all leaders and entrepreneurs and people that are running companies, they, they should seriously consider because it gives a better culture. And, you know, I, I mean, my best friend is in Mexico City right now. We uh, meeting with this Vicente Fox, and they're launching wow. an initiative called Operation Smile, and they want to feed a million children a day. That's amazing. He's literally there right now, and I'm just like, count me in. However, yeah. you guys need my help, I'm in. You know, and I'm a big believer that you know, government 
like people, not government, will take care. We we the people will take care of each other mm-hmm. better than the system taking care of you. For sure. Right? Because we care about each other more than the system cares about us. So for me, that at this stage of life, going back to what is the meaning of life, it's not fast cars, fast women, big houses. It's, it's that, it's that, that human connection that you can only give when you care and you help, right? Because when you help, you get more, you get more out of helping than you will with any material things. I couldn't agree. Whether that's, whether that's support, kindness, mentorship, whatever, just if you're fortunate enough to have attention or, or somebody with a platform as big as did Meltzer, like, you know, he does a really good job at like, you know, but it's a fine line between promotion and, and contribution. Right? Absolutely. For so sure. he's got to, it's got to come from a good place. Uh, so you told me not to promote your book, but <laughs> I'm going to always do what you don't tell me not to do. <laughs> that's more of a disruption, right? But you can't build skyscrapers on swampland. As somebody that aspires to write a book like myself, you actually did it. And I want to ask you what now this far down the road. When did you publish the book? How long ago? I wrote it uh, probably 12 or 13 years ago. I published it about four years ago. And what would you change about it or what compelled you to write? Well, you know, again, going back to, I'm just evolving and growing. You know, I wrote that book basically for my daughter, Um, you know, just so that she can understand how I think and like, don't write the book to, for, for self-promotion, write it for yourself. So you have clarity and thought and then write it for your kids. So they understand where you, what really makes you tick because all they see is daddy. Yeah. Right. What, what you want to say is like, these are the principles at which I live by. Um, I don't always, you know, follow them, you know? Um, but when I, when I'm on point and I'm on my game, these are the things that I go to. These are the principles that help me, um, you know, I built it, you know, you can't build skyscrapers on swampland, the foundation principles for successful living in life and in business. And it's about like, it, you can't build up until you build that base. So the base of, of all those principles, um, both personally and professionally, before you can build scale, before you can build up, you got to make sure those things are in place. Otherwise it all comes crashing down. Yeah. I, uh, I appreciate that as somebody that wrote a book with his grandfather. My grandfather, we wrote his memoir. Uh, we spent about three years doing it and published it, self-published it, and then published it in Bulgarian. But it clarity of thought, you know, number one is clarity of thought, but it's also it's a generational gift. It's something about legacy. It's something about not only that, but you've put your ideas on paper. And now you're as you evolve, you can put more ideas on paper. Yeah. And I mean, my next book, it'll probably be written a lot better because I'm a better (laughs) writer today. And, you know, my thoughts about this, this phase of my life are different than when I had that phase of my life. Sure. Um, But, you know, it was it was it's hard. Writing a book is tough. Yeah. Especially when you're not a writer. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I, I look forward to reading it. I truly appreciate the time. Um, how can people best interact with you? LinkedIn? Yeah, LinkedIn is a good way to connect with me. Um, 
you know, I'm on Instagram, but I'm, I've just, I've never connected with Instagram. So on a professional level, LinkedIn is the best way to connect. Okay. Perfect. Uh, Stover, our producer, uh, we'll put links in the show notes. Um, John, thank you so much for your time. I truly appreciate you, uh, having us up here. You have an incredible office thank and you. I look forward to seeing what you and your company do, um, this year and the years ahead. And I look forward to some barbecue. You got it. All right, brother. All right, my appreciate friend. Appreciate you.